The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very warm welcome, everybody. This is Squawkbox. The headlines this hour. The EU and the UK agree a flexible extension to Brexit, pushing out Britain's final departure date from the bloc until October 31st, as European Council President Donald Tusk sends a warning to UK lawmakers. This extension is as flexible as I expected and a little bit shorter than I expected, but it's still enough to find the best possible solution. Please do not waste this time. Chinese stocks sell off after the Fed and the ECB reinforce fears about a global economic slowdown. In an exclusive interview with CNBC, US Vice President Mike Pence backs Trump's call for lower interest rates. There's no evidence of inflation in this economy. So it's inflation. And, and so it, we really do believe that you know, what the president was saying is the quantitative tightening has not been the right approach. While U.S. Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin tells CNBC Washington and Beijing have reached an agreement on trade deal enforcement. We've pretty much agreed on the, an enforcement mechanism. We've agreed that both sides will establish enforcement offices that will deal with the ongoing matter. So this is something that both sides are taking very seriously. I know that there is huge frustration from many people that I had to request this extension. The UK should have left the EU by now, and I sincerely regret the fact that I have not yet been able to persuade Parliament to approve a deal which would allow the UK to leave in a smooth and orderly way. But the choices we now face are stark and the timetable is clear. So, very good morning, everybody. We've come down to the wall just to try and explain exactly what's going on with this Brexit story and how the markets are interpreting the latest news overnight. I've got a number of cryptic-looking boxes here, which we will endeavour to explain. So, EU leaders have now granted the UK a six-month flexible extension to Brexit. In late-night talks, officials extended Brexit until October the 31st. Halloween! You couldn't make it up, could you? However, the UK must take part in European elections in May or else leave on June the 1st. The EU will take stock of progress at its regular summit on June the 3rd. I think we've just about explained what the three dates mean now. If the House of Commons passes Theresa May's withdrawal agreement at any point, and let's remember they've had three runs at this and they still haven't managed to get it over the line, uh, so let's see if they can do that before this Halloween deadline. But if they get that agreement at any point, the UK will depart the bloc on the first day of the following month, Karen. Complicates the Halloween wardrobe now. Yeah, what absolutely. to wear instead of something scary, just a flag wrapped around for, for Brexit Day. But all the different dates, two more thrown up into the equation after what we had March 31, April 12, there was a June 30 date at one stage, a longer time frame out until the end of this year, potentially. Now a couple more just to wedge into the diary as well, potentially to scratch out. Well, the um, reaction on currency markets, as you'd expect, has been slightly positive, but uh, I put this sort of a, a range on this because we've been trading 
in the 129 to 133 level for quite a while, depending on the news flow, when we haven't really broken out of that range, despite the fact we've climbed above the 131 handle on sterling dollar. Euro sterling this morning, just drifting a little bit south, 0.86 on the trade. Well, let's get to some of the reaction as French President Emmanuel Macron argued against a potential year-long delay urging EU leaders to consider a shorter extension. Speaking in Brussels, Macron said the new delay is the best compromise. We delivered the best possible compromise, first because it was the one to preserve the unity of the 27, second because we addressed the request from the UK to get more time to deliver a deal on the basis of the withdrawal agreement negotiated a few months ago. And third, because thanks to this uh, agreement, we preserve the well-functioning of uh, uh, the uh, European Union. Speaking after talks ended, German Chancellor Angela Merkel reiterated that the withdrawal agreement will not be reopened. The entscheidende point is... The crucial point is when the British Parliament will, so to speak, give its assent to the withdrawal agreement. We have once again made it clear that the withdrawal agreement applies, that it will not be changed, that we can talk about future relations. And on this basis, we are relatively certain that the United Kingdom is also trying to find an orderly exit from the European Union. President Trump has weighed in on the UK's Brexit extension, tweeting that it is, quote, too bad that the EU is being tough on the UK. The US president also hit out at the EU, describing it as a, quote, brutal trading partner for the United States. Uh, we're pleased to have with us Thanos Van Bikides, uh, global head of G10 FX strategy at Bank of America, Merrill Lynch. Uh, Thanos, let's just set uh, President Trump to one side for a moment and the whole Federal Reserve, US inflation story. And, and let's just get a comment from you on the latest development on the Brexit story. Theresa May has had three attempts. She still believes that she can get a current agreement over the line. How should investors feel about sterling or positioning around the currency? Now, sterling is somewhere in the middle of the possible range uh, if we take into account the possible Brexit outcomes looking ahead. The fact uh, that they've agreed to an extension of Article 50, uh, it is positive, given that you avoid the wars for now but it is a kick of the can down the road. So we do not believe that Sterling can appreciate that much in the news. You avoid the wars, but you still don't have a solution. If the UK was to agree to a deal, then Sterling can appreciate cable. Uh, the equilibrium in a no-Brexit scenario is 150. It cannot go there if they do exit, but it can be at about 140 if you get Theresa May's deal approved. However, if the UK after October exits without a deal, it can go all the way down to 110. So we're right in the middle right now. Can we just flesh out a little bit around some of these dates at June 1 or, or Halloween date or something in between? Because part of the agreement were these conditions that were now lobbed on the UK, which is effectively not to disrupt EU decision-making. And, and that part concerns me because if you look at the list of current members of the European Parliament, and you'd assume some of those would be re-elected, you've, uh, you've got Sinn Féin in there. They've been asking for a United Ireland referendum if the UK crashes out of the EU without a deal. You've got Ulster Unionists in there, European Free Alliance, both of them be very critical of the Brexit chaos in Westminster. You've got UKIP, uh, Nigel Farage's Brexit party likely to contest, and all major parties as well. How on earth is Theresa May expected to keep all of those very Various groups together and not disrupt European politics? 
Now, indeed, it's a very strange situation. The UK will have to participate in the EU elections three years after the vote to exit the EU. And then, if all goes well, they will stay only for a few uh, months. However, I think the conditions imposed to the UK are reasonable, could be worse, actually. Given that the UK, in a way, they will be on their way out uh, in theory, they should not be active members of a number of key decisions that will affect EU outcomes well into no, the long term. They should not be, but they could be. For instance, if uh, you know there is a, a point of contention with some of the groups that I mentioned, they could try and frustrate what would be a key European issue. How on earth would Theresa May manage to keep these groups not voting, not reacting negatively to influence European politics? So there isn't a, a moment where you know UK is pushed out of Europe uh, disorderly at the last minute because of some administrative failure in European Parliament. It's not going to be easy. I think Theresa May will have to balance all these risks. But I think it is important to note that it could be worse because until recently uh, the expectation was that the EU will agree to an extension only if there is a clear plan on what will happen in the meantime. From this point of view, the EU is just giving more time to the UK to decide. It is reasonable for the EU at the same time to make sure that the UK is not an active member in a way, even for decisions that could affect the UK. I mean, one of the, one of the problems, I think, is that uh, this is effectively only a six-and-a-half-month extension. And um, it's taken them over two years to get to this point, and we still do not have very much visibility on who, can who will be the head of the Tory party in six and a half months' time, or whether we'll ultimately go to a general election or a further referendum. So still very much all of the um, potential scenarios remain on the table, which makes this such a difficult story, I think, for investors to negotiate. This is the problem. I think so far we see that the parliament uh, Clearly, they don't want the UK to exit without a deal, but we have no clarity on how you actually avoid this, because the fact remains that to avoid non-deal Brexit, the parliament needs to choose a deal. And this is where it's not clear how it will happen, it's not clear whether we need another uh, election, uh, it's not clear whether we'll get something very close to Theresa May's deal or a compromise uh, between if, what um, Theresa May and Corbyn is proposing. I mean, if there's one positive for the market here, I guess it's that you you pretty much can take Brexit off the table as your near-term concern about catalysts for market downside. Would that be a fair assessment, or do you think that the, the twists and turns of UK politics still keep this very much a key issue? I think it's true, but it's in the very short term. I think, uh, uh, you know, after the summer in September, we might be back at square one and we might be having exactly the same, the same discussions. Uh, is something has to change because so far the parliament has failed to reach a compromise on any solutions. Something has to change in order to do that. The recent negotiations between May and Corbyn are actually a positive development. Let's hope that this will lead to something. Otherwise, uh, it is very difficult to see how the UK can agree to a specific path. Yeah. It seems to have uh, shut a couple of doors, though, after uh, Emmanuel Macron's very strong argument against a, a longer extension to, to the time frame. But uh, for more details on the Brexit flex tension, head online to cnbc.com to read about that. Coming up on the programme, US Vice President Mike Pence backs his boss's call for the Fed to lower interest rates. We'll have that exclusive for you when we come back and we'll talk some more about the US data.
And if you just can't get enough of Squawkbox, be sure to tune into our very own podcast. Head to cnbc.com, iTunes, Spotify or Google Play to have a listen and download today's episode. Meantime, for our podcast listeners out there, stick around for some more. Let's take you to that U.S. market action where we saw the major averages improving in the session, mostly really staggered to the afternoon trade. The S&P and NASDAQ closing towards the session highs. When it comes to the tech-heavy index, the NASDAQ, we're at a six-month high on the close, 7.964. You can see uh, getting just shy of that 8,000 mark now in the territory that's been trading in. The S&P also rising for the ninth time in 10 sessions. So it's that little bit of a wobble for one session. It's back in the green, third of a percent high, 2.888 on the markets. So uh, very firm finish, but uh, just slightly ahead for the Dow. It's fortune somewhat hampered, still buys some pressure on Boeing stock in the back of the 737 MAX. Uh, elsewhere, if you take a look at uh, the reaction that we've seen in the dollar, we had uh, basically a very moderate inflation report crossing. Investors had uh, been looking for those numbers to see what it would mean for the Fed and not enough to, to cause the Fed to step away from being patient. The minutes uh, didn't produce any surprise from the recent meeting of the Fed. Effectively, we still have uh, policymakers in the States on hold and willing to be patient around rates. Not exactly, though, tipping towards a rate cut, but uh, there's a look at the dollar trade that you've got on the screens. And uh, the Asian markets, I want to take you to what we had across the board because the CPI numbers and producer prices from China as well, the inflation read showed an economy that might be finding some level of stabilisation. The factory gate inflation levels picking up for the first time in nine months. Some of this down to the mining sector, but uh, that uh, PPI number up 0.4%. Also, uh, some improvements in the CPI, the consumer read, which rose 2.3% in March from a year ago. Again, a couple of one-off factors here, and this was an, an increase in pork prices. But uh, you can see that the market in China not exactly taking this as good news. Uh, the market fading today down 1.4%. The Hong Kong market going with it, uh, a drop of 268 points or nine-tenths of a percent. And uh, you've got uh, patch of green around Japan. One of the other markets I wanted to talk about was Australia. And you can see that market trading in the red today. An election has been called for May 18. It may be a tricky one in terms of where some of the support lies. It may mean a, a change in government uh, to the Labour Party. So it is one to watch for international investors trading that market. The opening calls, uh, here's how we're setting up the trading session. After an eventful night, in Brussels, a little bit like the Greek crisis, running late into the evening or early hours of the morning. We are now chasing Brexit reaction this morning with a couple of fresh dates to hang our hat on, June 1 and October 31st. The market is looking to give back a little bit of territory across the board. The exception on the charts is the French market that is showing a green arrow of nine, but uh, the rest of the markets are all looking for a modest pullback, including the FTSE that has been somewhat resilient here in the UK. Jeff. What progress is uh, being made on the trade row with China? Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin says the US and China have agreed an enforcement mechanism for a trade deal. Speaking to CNBC, Mnuchin said both sides will establish enforcement offices to address issues around any agreement. If reached, Mnuchin said a deal would be the most significant change to US-China relations in 40 years. But he would not be drawn on whether Washington will use tariffs as an enforcement tool. I'm not going to comment on the specifics of the tariffs and what would stay in place and what would go away, but I would just say uh, we're really focused on the execution of the documents. And uh, as I said, uh, Ambassador Lighthizer and a very large team across all the agencies 
is, is we're really working around the clock. Steve Mnuchin, uh, Chinese March consumer inflation jumped to a five-month high on the back of rising food prices. According to the country's National Bureau of Statistics, it rose 2.3% lower than the 2.4% which had been forecast by economists. Producer price inflation rose 0.4% in March compared to the previous year, meeting expectations spurred on by an uptick in mining extraction prices. It marks the first pickup in nine months and comes as the Chinese government looks to boost growth in the world's second largest economy. The Fed is likely to keep rates on hold for the rest of the year. Minutes from its latest meeting show. The majority of FOMC officials agreed that risks to the outlook warranted keeping policy unchanged, but they left the door open to the possibility of more rate rises before the end of the year if economic conditions improve. Speaking exclusively to CNBC, Vice President Mike Pence backed Trump's calls for the Fed to cut rates. There's no evidence of inflation in this economy. So it's inflation. And, and so it, we really do believe that, that you know, what the president was saying is the quantitative tightening has not been the right approach. Uh, that he's, he's spoken out against the policies of the Fed over the last two years, like many that. presidents yeah. have before him. <laughs> right. But Let me this is a president that really does believe that, that this economy is only starting to grow. I mean, you look at, you look at nations around the world, nations that we compete with every day, uh, and the president really does believe that 3% is, is a starting point in this economy. Tune in for more of that exclusive interview with Vice President Mike Pence at 12 p.m. CET. The ECB held interest rates steady amid fears over a slowdown in eurozone growth, surprising no one. Uh, President Mario Draghi said the central bank expects rates to remain at their current levels, quote, at least through the end of 2019, as it looks to keep inflation close to or below 2%. He added the ECB has, quote, plenty of instruments to support the eurozone economy. Uh, but Mr Draghi also warned of the impact of recent threats by President Trump to slap additional tariffs on the EU. We have to see, first of all, what happens, because as you've seen in the past, uh, between words and deeds, there is often a big, uh, a big gulf. Uh, but certainly, even, even, uh, even the fact that these threats are being vented with some frequency is certainly undermine, undermine uh, general confidence. Uh, Mario Draghi, let's go back to Thanos Van Bikidis. Thanos, it seems to be the most important decision you have to make this year is whether you believe that the Fed does not increase interest rates. The minutes appear to suggest that the Fed is very relaxed about uh, um, the need for higher interest rates at this point. What do you think? I think being on hold seems to be the most likely uh, scenario. It is not clear that this is really justified uh, by the economic conditions in the U.S. The U.S. economy is slowing, but this is consistent with the estimates from the impact uh, coming from the fiscal stimulus. Last year, the U.S. economy was on steroids because of the fiscal stimulus. Now growth is going back to normal. So there is no reason for the Fed to continue hiking at the same pace as last year. But there is no reason to cut, given that the global economy is slowing, one could justify for the Fed being on hold. But assuming a number of risks in the global economy do not materialize, you can even justify a hike by the end of this year. But at least the message from the Fed is very clear, they are staying on hold. The problem is that the rates market is actually pricing a recession in the U.S., while the equities market is doing very, very well because of what the Fed is doing. So you have this discrepancy between what the two markets are pricing. Can I get to the idea of a rate cut? Because 
everybody's talking about it, just not the Fed. At what point can they sort of, I guess, ignore the markets and just continue to not have a discussion about a rate cut? I think it would be completely irresponsible if the Fed cuts rates. Now, if the U.S. economy slows more than we expect or if some of the global risk materialize, you could justify it. But at this point, inflation is not high, but it's not very low. Wages are actually increasing. Labor markets are tight. And the U.S. economy is going back to potential growth. If the Fed cuts now, what they are going to do in the future if you do have a recession? Well, that takes us nicely to the ECB, doesn't it? Because yesterday we saw Mario Draghi talk about uh, the, the weak conditions out there in the Eurozone. But yet when it comes to policy measures and what action the ECB could take to try and stimulate or shore up the economy, it didn't feel like there were many options left. So what did you make of the ECB and the reaction in the Euro? Now, the ECB is in a very difficult position because the economy is slowing. They're dealing with risks that are beyond their control, trade protection from the U.S., uh, Brexit. And although Draghi is pushing against criticism that the ECB does not have many tools to address these risks, this is actually the case. At the same time, there is evidence that the negative depot rates have negative side effects on the banking sector, which through credit growth affects the economy. I think Draghi did the best he could, uh, as he usually does uh, yesterday. But I think for now, the ECB is just waiting uh, to see how the data will evolve. The second quarter data will be extremely important. I don't think the ECB is about to consider cuts or changing the forward guidance yet. If the data improves, uh, most likely they will hike sometime early next year. I think the market now has priced hikes completely out. But I think the threshold for a cut is very high. What's the argument uh, then for owning euro over dollar at this point? Now, what is interesting, euro dollar effectively has done nothing, uh, despite the fact that the US economy is slowing, the Fed has a price with a very dovish turn. The reason is that the eurozone data is very weak and we have risks uh, related to trade tensions and, and, and Brexit. So for now, it is hard for the euro to move, but the euro is undervalued by about seven, eight percent. And we are optimistic that the data in the Eurozone will improve in the rest of the year, particularly if we get trade deals between US and China and US and the EU. In this case, we can see Euro dollar closer to 120 by the end of this year. It is very hard for the Euro to weaken further. You need something bad to happen. Trade tensions between US and the EU or uh, a Brexit without a deal. Uh, but we continue to see uh, unrealistic uh, GDP forecasts from the Italians. That that row with the Commission has yet to really burst forth yet again here. So that remains a um, an issue, it seems to me. And the, the other uh, problem at the moment, um, as far as the, uh, the, the, the currency is concerned, is that you are um, seeing very little credit growth in the Eurozone. It's, it, in fact, it's been flat, which means that we've got a demand problem regardless of what happens on the trade route. Very good points. Italy remains uh, the Eurozone's weak link. Uh, it is more a long-term concern. Italy's debt is unsustainable under most uh, scenarios. Uh, for now, we believe that Italy will continue muddling through, but they will get into trouble if there is another recession. But going to the issue of credit, you are absolutely right. I really believe part of the reason that the Eurozone economy is weak is that this has been a creditless recovery. But the negative depot rates is part of the problem. When the banks are not profitable, you don't have credit. So 
Actually, if the ECB was able to bring deeper rates back to zero, I would argue that this would be a loosening of financial monetary conditions rather than a tightening of monetary conditions. Alistair, we haven't got much time left, but I want to ask you very quickly about the election implications in Australia for the Australian dollar. May 18, the election's been called. Now, in Australia, I think this is important looking uh, forward, but to a large extent, Aussie has been driven by external developments. It is driven by commodities, it is driven by trade tensions, it's driven by China. So overall, I don't think political uncertainty is a main consideration. We do have the RBA cutting twice this year, but this is fully priced in. Overall, we like Aussie dollar, part of the reason because we are bearish the dollar and also we are optimistic on US-China trade deal. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.